We are looking for another quarterback. I've never seen in the history of the NFL having two on the roster, and that's very much important. So um, a veteran uh, backup is um, definitely in our discussions. Talk to you at the end of the season. You and Nick were very confident in saying Jalen's going to be your guy. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. We will work at Lamar's urgency. So he and I have had ongoing discussions. Um, you know, we've talked fairly recently as well. About the Ravens, three, four, five years from now, we envision Lamar being a very, very big part of that team and definitely a player that can help us win Super Bowls. You think Tom Brady's done, officially? I don't know. I'll I know. never believe that. I know. I don't I, Something either. about that is right? weird to me. Right? Like, I yes, I, I, I have a hard time feeling like we'll – We'll have opening day happen next year, and he's not going to be dressed up in a football helmet. Yeah. I just, it'd be weird for me to, to think that that's going to happen. I'm with you, too. I'm not going to believe it until I Whatever see Whatever he wants is really what we should all want. Yeah. And yeah. so if he's at peace with his decision, then, then God bless him. Include Josh McDaniels, former Patriots offensive coordinator, now Raiders head coach, among the ever-growing throng of human beings and also other non-human organisms who are convinced that Tom Brady will be back in 2022. I, for one, believe he will play. Miles Simmons. First of all, we say hello. It's been a while since we've done this together because we were off last week. It's been 12 days, and I know you've missed me, and I'm putting you on the spot right out of the gates. Yes or no, up or down, in or out, Tom Brady 2022. Well, I just want to focus on the non-human organisms part of what you were just saying, because that was what you meant by you, right? You know, <laughs> this is going to be a really short show today. At least your participation in it will be. I'm talking about dogs, cats, animals with instincts, dolphins. I saw some dolphins last week at the beach off in the distance. Oh, and look at that. There goes Ooh. Miles. Right on cue. Miles has been, oh, wait, what happened there? Something happened. We I have, have no uh, idea. I, I didn't do anything. Were, I didn't I touch anything. Being, okay. I thought you were being dumped. I tried to. <laughs> I have a little button down here. Little, oh, you dear. know, like the old, the old trap door. Yeah, I've got yeah. the virtual trap door to get rid of you whenever I want. But anyway, I did see some dolphins last week at the beach, but that's irrelevant to this conversation. Everyone thinks, not everyone, but I can say everyone thinks, because if you say it with enough conviction, people will believe you. But many are Very saying true. Tom Brady will be back. Many are saying Tom Brady will be back next year, and that's true. Many are saying Brady will be back, and if McDaniel <laughs> says it, we need to take it more seriously. I think he will be back, and I think that when guys like Bruce Arians try to huff and puff and, you know, your little move here, when they try to do this about how we're not going to trade – Tom Brady, and he can't, you know, he's not going to play for anybody else. I just think that makes Brady more determined to come back and play. Yeah, five ones is uh, going to be what uh, prize uh, Tom Brady from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We'll see about that. You know, when, when Bruce Arian says something like that, my reaction is that sure Jan gift from uh, the Brady Bunch. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Bruce Arians just is wrong a lot when it comes to Tom Brady. He said he'd be shocked if Brady retired. Then Brady mm -hmm. retired. Now he'll be shocked if he unretires, and he's going to unretire. And huff and puff, and he's not going to play for another team, and we're not going to let that happen. It's not his call, first of all. No, and second of all, he's only under contract because he did a deal last year to reduce his cap number. It's not like he got some big giant pot of money to do an extra year. They did it for cap purposes. So if he goes to the Glazers, if he goes to Jason Light, and he says this is how it's going to be, are you going to say no? To Tom Brady I was saying earlier today it's just got a weird vibe that Bruce Arians is even treating Brady verbally like any other player in the history of football would be treated Brady has transcended that kind of misguided tough talk Brady gets what he wants and if he wants out he's getting out and I just think that Arians is foolishly rattling the cage on Brady and maybe setting the stage to get Brady even more convinced to come back and show Bruce Arians and everyone else that what he did was retire, not from football, but he retired from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Well, not only that, but what, what more does Tom Brady need to do for the Buccaneers organization? He came there during a pandemic year and won you a Super Bowl. So, you know, to paraphrase Mad Men, Bruce Arians should maybe be on his knees, you know, thanking Tom Brady every night along with Jesus that he's got a Super Bowl ring. Yeah, and maybe Brady first. Brady first, Jesus second, I think would probably be the right order from the Buccaneers' maybe. perspective. Uh, 
So uh, we're going to continue to watch this. You know, it, it, that's what's the weirdest thing about this offseason. We thought Aaron Rodgers most likely on the move, and it's looking like maybe he won't be. We thought Russell Wilson had a good chance of moving. We'll talk about that coming up, looking like he won't be. Tom Brady, the guy that we thought wouldn't leave the Buccaneers, first of all, and second of all was retiring. I think we're on Brady watch for the foreseeable future as to whether or not he will play for another team this year. My money continues to be on the San Francisco 49ers. I inadvertently made a bet yesterday while on the Dan Patrick show that I'll take a pie in the face if he's not the week one quarterback of the 49ers. So I have that going for me, which is nice. I just have to figure out who will get the honors of putting the pie in my face because depending yeah. upon the consistency of the pan, that could be painful. Well, I was, that was going to be my next question. Like, has somebody already volunteered to put the pie in your face? Because if not, I would like to volunteer as tribute. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you would. Your, your invitation <laughs> to come down when you visit Cleveland is hereby rescinded. Okay. Uh, at a minimum, you will be, your, your car will be searched for any pie pans if you do come down. Um, all right. Uh, l- let's get to a topic that I know that, that you are fired up about because I saw your tweets oh, yeah. today. At a time when we're wondering about the future of Kyler Murray in Arizona, lo and behold, Steve Kime, the general manager of the team, and he's been there for a long time now, and Cliff Kingsbury, the head coach who was entering the last year of his contract, they both have new deals that go through 2027. That's a long time for a couple of guys who, look, they've gotten better every year. That's the pro-Cardinals, pro-Kingsbury, pro-Kyler, pro-Kime spin. They've gotten better every year the last three years. But every year, the last three years, they've started at a certain level and they've fallen apart. And it was disastrous this year, 10 and 2. And they disintegrated and they were abysmal in their wild card loss to the L.A. Rams. So a lot of people are wondering, many are saying, what the hell's going on here? And I know you're one of them, Miles. So go ahead. Give us your spiel on how stunned you are by this and whether you think these contracts are deserved. First of all, no. I'll, I can I can guess save everybody the trouble of listening to what I'm going to say. That's probably a longer answer than what I would give about Baker Mayfield. But look, I don't understand what's going on here. Right? Even if Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime are entering the last year of their contracts, if you get a one-year extension, a two-year extension, that I understand. Right? Head coaches, general managers, they don't often go into their last year of a contract without some sort of extension because it creates a lame duck situation and that can get very weird. We saw that a couple years ago with Jason Garrett and the Dallas Cowboys, right? But I don't, five years for what? For who? For why? Like, did did we not all see them go from 10 and two and in control of the NFC West to peeing down their leg against Detroit? Detroit! They had one win at that point, and they tied the Steelers with Mason Rudolph. And they went down there, and they looked like crap. And then they continued to lose. They lost to Los Angeles Rams on Monday Night Football in their own building. That actually was the week before they went to Detroit and lost. And they lost again to the Colts. And then they somehow beat Dallas. And I guess Dallas wasn't maybe as good as we thought because Dallas also lost in the wild card round. But then they had a chance to steal the division in week 18 and lost to the Seattle Seahawks and then probably had the worst game plan I've ever seen in a playoff game for a third game against a division rival in the wild card round. That that, that game plan was so bad. Right. I I don't understand what we're seeing here with Cliff Kingsbury getting a five year extension to 2027. Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury should be on the hot seat next year. And now they are not because you've decided that they're going to have some sort of stability and do this and do that. I don't understand it, Mike. What am I missing here? Because I, I don't understand why you would give these folks extensions that long when they have not proven that they can build consistent winners. They don't even have a freaking playoff win in this regime. One thing to remember, and it used to be a given that for the duration of a coach or GM contract, every dollar was guaranteed. That device has from time to time dissipated and What's really going to matter here is how many years of these contracts are guaranteed. That's the full extent of the duration. If it's a team option, 
for the final two or three years. It's really not an extension through 2027. It may just be right. for optics. And this is the problem the Cardinals have. And this goes back to when Kyler Murray was entering the NFL, Cliff Kingsbury was the head coach of the Cardinals. And lo and behold, both guys are represented by the same person, Eric Burkhart. There is no prohibition on it. If you were a lawyer and you were representing both employer and employee, and I mean, you get into all sorts of conflicts of interest and they would be asking for your law license. But in the NFL, when you represent players, when you represent coaches, it's not a problem. And actually, it's to the benefit of Kingsbury and Murray in this case because Burkhardt, I think, has played this incredibly well. He's gotten Kingsbury an extension because there was a dust-up after the season ended. And there was a sense that maybe Kingsbury was going to be out. And there was a report that Michael Bidwell, the owner of the team, wasn't happy. I, I got to be careful how I phrase this. But I came to the conclusion, based upon some things I heard, that if they had fired Cliff Kingsbury, they would have had a major problem with Kyler Murray, due in large part to the fact that Eric Burkhart represents both guys. So you got to keep Kingsbury if you want to keep Murray. And now that you've kept Kingsbury, advantage Murray. Because what are you going to do about Murray now that you've signed Kingsbury for five more years? So I think these are the first two dominoes along the lines of signing Murray because I don't think you can sign Murray and have Kingsbury on the hot seat. Or fire Cliff Kingsbury. You're going to have a problem with Murray if you move on from Kingsbury. So they're going to continue forward together. Kingsbury and Murray. Assuming that they reach a level of compensation that Burkhardt is happy with when it comes to Murray. And I think that's the issue. It's not whether or not they want to pay him. It's whether or not they want to pay him what Burkhardt wants him to get. It's going to be tough to peg that number. But before we get there, Kingsbury's got to have his contract. So he's in place. And now they can turn to Kyler Murray and try to put this ugliness behind them. I just feel like the Cardinals tried to use the media to squeeze Kingsbury and Murray into having lower expectations financially, and it blew up in their faces. So they are declaring victory and retreating. I guess. And, and fine, if that's the way you want it to be. I, I still don't understand why you need to say that these are extensions through 2027, whether or not they have guarantees in, that con- in those contracts or not. I mean, I, I just I look at it and it's just not something that I understand. And like Cliff Kingsbury to me, and I tweeted this today, is the guy who just ultimately continues to fall up. I, what other teams do you see that have collapses like that late in the season and perform that poorly in the postseason, give their coaches like long-term extensions. And I understand that it's a unique situation with Kyler Murray too, but what has Kyler Murray done? I mean, what has he really done in the league besides kind of fall apart there toward the end of seasons? And we can say that coincides with Cliff Kingsbury, who frankly has that kind of track record going back to his time at Texas Tech, which he got fired from, by the way, and then somehow fell up from USC's offensive coordinator into being an NFL head coach. Try that one on for size. That's that's not something that you see every day. So, again, I don't really get this. If they want to do this, that's fine. If this helps them with Kyler Murray, great, because I do think Kyler Murray is a good player. I don't necessarily think Kyler Murray is a great player. I don't think we've seen that yet. And I also don't really get the leverage play at this point from them when, er, from Eric Burkhart, when it comes to Kyler Murray, because he, we're just into the negotiating window with him. The, the season just ended. If you're going to get this done with a third year guy or a guy coming off his third year, I should say, usually happens in the summer. So if you can't get things done until then, then to me, that makes more sense as to when you start going public with it and you start trying to put a little more pressure on the Arizona Cardinals to come to where you want them to be. I, I don't understand why all this is happening now. There's some weird stuff going on there down there in the desert. Well, well, but, you know, I'm glad we're talking through this because sometimes these things don't make sense to me until I have a chance to have a conversation about it. Think about what the Cardinals would have been doing over the course of the next couple of weeks as free agency approaches and how that would have affected their ability to attract the free agents they'd like to sign if Cliff Kingsbury was entering 2023, 2022, excuse me, without his new contract as a lame duck. Now you can go recruit. You can go recruit your free agents with a sense of real stability. 
if if that, that that's a legitimate reason to do it now. The question is, but why no, do you no, do no. it now, and why do you make it so long? You, 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 when it's time to go recruit guys to come sign, you don't have that question of, is Cliff Kingsbury going to be the coach for more than this year? The answer is, yes, he will be. He'll be here longer than you will. He signed through 2027. So that is one reason to do it that I just kind of thought of. Well, I, and I get that. I do get that. I understand that. But, and that's why I would be interested to see, like, what is the guarantee structure on these extensions? Because, again, like you said, Mike, if it's you get two to three years of more guaranteed salary and then that other stuff is club options, that, that's fluff, right? But you don't necessarily, if you are the Cardinals, have to announce it like they did. I mean, I was working for the L.A. Rams when they quietly signed Jeff Fisher to a contract extension. And then that thing didn't leak until we were all on buses heading to Gillette Stadium late in the season uh, in 2016 when it looked like the Rams were just going to continue to bottom out. And they did continue bottoming out. And so it seemed like, you know, oh, my gosh, well, why is this leaking now? Well, maybe this is a way of backing off the pressure on the head coach, it didn't matter. The head coach got fired anyway. Right? And, and frankly, these owners are billionaires. You know, if they want to make a, a head coach go away because the team performance has not been good enough, they're going to be able to do it regardless. They have that kind of money. That's the beauty of having FU money. You can say FU and, you know, go walk away and go kick rocks. So I, I don't necessarily think that this means Kingsbury is going to be there until 2027. I think we'd all be naive to think that. But I do kind of think it gives him at least two more years as opposed to the one year that I think it should be. Would the message be F you or would it be eat, crap, and die? <laughs> I think in this place. The we did this. Uh, yeah, that's true, yeah. In this case, it might just be yeah. F you. Not, not, yeah. yeah. It's not that extreme. Uh, but you <laughs> It's it's funny though. It's funny though for all the money that these guys have. Like Jerry Jones does not like to pay buyouts. He doesn't like to pay right. coaches to not work for him. It's just it's a weird that goes back level to the Garrett thing I was talking about. For people who shouldn't be cheap about anything, it's a matter of principle. I don't want to pay this guy that I don't think is a very good coach to not coach the team. So I'll continue to employ him as the coach. So he has to actually earn the money. I will endure the services of someone that I don't want the services from anymore simply because I don't want to pay him to not give me those services. That's a tough mental pretzel to twist yourself into if you're Jerry Jones. And it goes counter to the idea that, hey, I have this $250 million yacht that cost me at least a million dollars a week to take care of. Okay, so one last thing about Kingsbury, too. And you, you mentioned failing upward. And it really is weird that this guy who got fired by Texas Tech kind of emerged as a hot candidate four years ago. I remember being confused about that. And the Jets were interested, I think. And the Cardinals were interested. And there was first talk about him being an offensive coordinator. It's like, oh, screw that. They're going to make him a head coach somewhere. And for nine straight years now, six at Texas Tech and three with the Cardinals, his teams have failed down the stretch, faltered down the stretch. Whatever standard they set early in the year, they have not been able to sustain. And that's troubling because that tells me that other teams are catching up to you. They're figuring you out every year. They're cracking the code on your film, and you're not cracking the code on their film. And that that is troubling. And, uh, of course, the response is the Cardinals have gotten better each and every year, and the Cardinals sucked before Cliff Kingsbury arrived, and they sucked before Kyler Murray arrived. So if you move on from these guys, you go back to sucking. Well, okay, fine, but how much better are you really, and are you truly a high-end contender? That's the question, and there's going to be pressure. Murray's going to get paid, and there's going to be pressure on Murray to give us a result other than what we've seen. And I'm a, I'm a Kyler Murray guy. I'm a big believer in Kyler Murray. But what we saw down the stretch last year wasn't good, whether it's because of the ankle or, or whatever. But that performance DeAndre against Hopkins the Rams, he tell you, it, it just wasn't good. It wasn't yeah. good. It was awful. It was awful. But I would also say that the Cardinals didn't, they sucked for one year when they had um, uh, Steve Wilkes as a head coach. And Steve Keim made the decision to trade up and get Josh Rosen. And they were so awful that they failed themselves into the number one overall pick. Why isn't that something we talk about when we talk about Steve Keim? Now that's how you tank. That Stephen Ross, <laughs> that's how you do it. That's how you cover your tracks. Trade up one year in round one to get a quarterback who's so bad that you end up earning the number one overall pick the next year and you get your 
franchise quarterback and Kyler Murray. All right. Uh, you know, it's funny. I was looking at the amount of time we have because we've got three interviews from earlier today we're going to play. And, oh, we've got plenty of time to hit these topics. And, of course, now we've got to hit hyperdrive. Pete Carroll talking about Russell Wilson, the Seahawks quarterback, earlier today. Last year there was that weird sense that he wanted out, and we thought maybe by this year he would make a bigger push to get out. Wilson, more recently, seems content to stick around. Here is what Pete Carroll had to say about Russell Wilson speaking to reporters at the Combine earlier today. We're, we're, you know, there's conversations about everybody. We're talking about everybody. And that's commonplace for us to have conversations with teams about all of the players, particularly marquee players. And that's not changed. It's been the same every year we've been here. So it's the same as it's been. We have no intention of making any, any move there. Uh, but the conversations, John has to feel those he always has. Uh, but nothing specific to, to that. No intention of trading Russell Wilson. It was nine years ago when Rick Spielman, then the GM of the Vikings, said we have no intent to trade Percy Harvin. And days later, they traded him to the Seattle Seahawks. So, hey, look, they want to keep Russell Wilson around. They don't have a good alternative. And I think this year Russell Wilson is less agitated because he was injured. And there are other reasons why the team didn't hit the level that it needed to. 2020, it was too disappointing. It was too abrupt. It was 12-4 and and a loss at home to the Rams in the wild card round of the playoffs. I just think he was pissed off because he thought they had a pretty good team and they could have contended for a Super Bowl berth. This year, he knows that it was over. The moment his hand slapped into the helmet of Aaron Donald, that season was over for the Seattle Seahawks. So I just think it's easier for him to process it and compartmentalize his possible big-picture desire to move on and give it one more year with the Seahawks. I I think this is it, though. Because next year is the long-term contract or else pattern for Russell Wilson. He always gets his extension with one year left on his deal. And a year from now, he'll have one year left on his deal. So I think if anything's going to happen, it's going to be next year. This year, it looks like they're going to go forward arm-in-arm and try to have the best season possible and pursue another Super Bowl win. He said he wants three more. He's got one in a decade. Uh, Good luck with getting three more in today's NFL, but, you know, he's going he's gonna to get everything he has this year, Miles, to try to get number two or at least get close to it. Yeah, well, ask Patrick Mahomes how easy it is to go and, like, get after another Super Bowl title that quickly. Uh, but I, I tend to agree with you. It seems like this is going to be okay for Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, the Seattle Seahawks, going into this year. And I just always had faith that they were going to turn it around last year based on their track record. This was the first time Seattle's had a losing record since Russell Wilson's been their QB. I think they're going to be all right in a competitive division in 2022. Yeah, I do too, and uh, I think last year was a fluke, and I think Russell Wilson is on board, and watch, he'll he'll be traded uh, by the time this hour is over. (laughs) Eric DaCosta, Ravens GM, talked earlier today about the lack of a contract with Lamar Jackson, and this is something that I've mentioned from time to time. Lamar Jackson, representing himself, he has not engaged the Ravens. There was a narrative at the start of last season. Shefty had the report that he's all about football. He doesn't have time for this. What's all the more reason to have an agent? I mean, I don't have time to cut my grass, so I have somebody who cuts my grass. Otherwise, the grass isn't getting cut. So if you're all about football and you don't have time for other things, you've got to hire somebody to do other things. And, and so I'm, I'm a firm believer that he'd have a deal by now and he would be making $40 million plus per year if he had an agent. He's not engaging the Ravens, and I don't know what the strategy is here, Miles, and it's unfortunate because of all the quarterbacks out there, he's the one that takes the extreme physical risk every time he steps onto the field. I don't really understand it either, Mike. And, you know, when he was asked after the season sort of about the contract, he said, my focus right now is on getting right and getting healthy after he had the bone bruise in the ankle and missed the last four games of the season. I understand that perspective, but I also do feel like when you are the 2019 MVP of the league, Josh Allen gets a a contract last summer that, you know, gets him $40 million a year. Then basically what you do at that point is say, hey, man, I have an MVP award. He doesn't. Give me something between Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Let's get this over with. I get my $40 million plus a year, and then everybody's happy. And I don't, I just, I don't understand what's going on right now with this. And it's a weird dynamic to me. It's a weird narrative. The Ravens seem to want to give him a contract extension. I don't know if they're undervaluing him or what, but... I just feel like this is something that they should be able to get done. And Jackson's got to get it done for himself because he represents himself. 
It's option year this year, 18.8 million franchise tag in 23, second franchise tag in 24. It becomes impractical in 2025 to use a third straight tag. So they have to do something. And keep an eye on Tyler Huntley, because even though he is not Lamar Jackson, he runs that offense that they have constructed well enough that if they would decide to give him a little bit of money, carve off some bucks for him, dollar for dollar, they could have a better deal with him than with Lamar Jackson. All right, we stand down for interviews with Howie Roseman, Kevin O'Connell, George Payton. Those are all next here on PFTPM. We continue our coverage of the Scouting Combine from Indianapolis, although I am not personally in Indianapolis. Eagles general manager Howie Roseman is. I think we've done this with you every year for like seven, eight, nine, ten years. I've lost track at some point, but it's great to see you. Great we to talk didn't do to it you. Last sorry year. I'm not there. We definitely didn't do it last so, year. Well, we definitely definitely didn't do it last year, but sorry I'm not there <laughs> this year. I feel bad that I'm not no, there. I'm Actually, sure. I don't. Uh, I, li- I do like seeing you in person here, and Sims just told me that he was pulled off from me because, you know, because we have such great chemistry here. Everyone wants to see you and I talk, dude. That's right. And also, least, Sims least, is suspended my, for using foul families. language. That's right. What's that? Sims, Sims, uses, Sims uh, is suspended for using foul language. That's why he's not involved in this. Uh, I, um, I can, I can so let's get right to it. That. You guys had a really good season last year, better than I think anyone outside of the organization expected. How did last season, an unexpected playoff experience, again, from the outside, how did that mesh with your own expectations of what the team was going to be in Nick Sirianni's first year as coach? There was two parts of that. I think the first part is when we were in the playoffs, would have rather had a better outcome, um, you know, disappointed in kind of how the season ended with the opportunity that we had down in Tampa, uh, obviously playing against a great team and a great quarterback. But then the second part is just seeing how our coaches responded to the adversity. You know, we were 2-5, and five, uh, didn't start the season the way that we wanted, adjusting to our personnel, um, really putting our guys in the best possible positions based on the players that we had and making a run, winning the seven in the last nine games. So um, obviously we got an opportunity here with free agency in the draft and the draft picks that we have to get better and uh, give our coaches um, really the, the players they need for the systems that they're trying to bring to the table. And, and, and that's the fascinating question to me, Howie, because the coaching staff did pivot to where the team's strengths were last year. So are you going to try to find more players to continue that approach, more run-heavy than anything else offensively, or are you trying to get the personnel in place so Nick Sirianni and company can maybe go in a different direction when the Eagles have the football? When you talk about run-heavy, sometimes the perception is first and ten handoff second and eight handoff, third and four, you know, trying to make a first down. And one of the things that's exciting to me is that we're explosive offensively with the run game. I think we led the league in explosive plays, certainly first in explosive runs. And so when you combine that and then, you know, Jalen takes a jump to the next level and he continues to get better and develop chemistry with some of our younger receivers – and then add to that and continue to add to that. So think of it like a layer cake and we keep adding on the layers. It doesn't have to be one-dimensional. It continue to get better in the areas that maybe um, we weren't as good as we wanted to be last year offensively. And the same thing from a defensive perspective. What's the best thing that Jalen Hurts does in your opinion? Well, the first part about Jalen Hurts is that this guy is all ball all the time. I mean, he wants to be great. Uh, He will make sure he is emptying the tank to be great. And that's improving his passing fundamentals. That's improving his relationships with teammates. That's improving his technique. And then as you look at Jalen's career, right, it goes from being, you know, winning a national championship, being benched at Alabama, then getting better from Alabama to Oklahoma, getting better from Oklahoma to the combine, getting better from the combine to his first year in the NFL, getting better year one to two. And so when you're watching a player and you see a trajectory that's still going up and you still see the guy's 23 years old, I think that's what excites you, knowing that it's our job to make sure he's got good pieces in place and that he's going to do whatever it takes to continue to improve as well. What is his ceiling then, and what's he have to do next? What's the next step toward getting to wherever his maximum capacity is? Well, Coach talked about it a little today. You know, there are things that he needs to work on and things that will happen 
with repetition, with seeing it over and over and over again, seeing defenses and the looks that he's getting over and over and going, all right, I got this look. This is where I'm gonna, what I'm going to do with the football. And that comes with experience. I think sometimes we forget this is still a young player, and this may be the only industry in the world where we expect the people that are the youngest to also perform at the highest level. And when you talk to veteran quarterbacks who are performing at a high level in their 30s, they're saying they're able to see it so much quicker because they've seen it before. And so their muscle memory is just like that. And that comes with experience. So I think that even just getting Jalen more experience, he'll naturally get better um, at the things that he's looking to improve on this offseason. You moved around uh, the board a little bit last year, and you ended up getting Devontae Smith, the 2020 Heisman winner, with your first-round pick. Give me your assessment of him so far and what you want to see him do next in his second year. Well, Devontae is not an easy scout. You know, it's, it's pleasure scouting when you watch him and you see him in every big game, separating ball skills, you know, body control, toughness as a blocker, run after the catch, and elite uh, character. So, you know, I think when you go through this process here and you're back in Indy, you're reminded about how hard it is on rookies, where they're doing things that isn't all football. You know, they're going through... Uh, the process of interviewing with teams and working on things for their pro day or their 40s, things that aren't just like, how can I improve in this specific area? How can I get bigger and stronger? And so that jump from year one to year two is real. He's got all the tools in his body to be a, a difference-making NFL player, and I think you saw just a glimpse of what he's going to be. Um, um, of course, he set the Eagles single-season NFL rookie record, so um, it's not like he had a bad rookie year, but I think it's just the tip of the iceberg for him. Back to Jalen Hurts, because there's kind of a loose sense around him, especially entering last year, that he's got to prove himself and that you know maybe he will, maybe he won't. How close is he now to becoming the kind of guy where there should be no question internally or externally about him being the quarterback now and into the foreseeable future? I don't know that that's the way the world works anymore, Mike. I don't know that anyone's on scholarship in any profession anymore. I think it's uh, there's so much external factors that everyone's always looking at things. Uh, you know, I, I think you just saw it with the world champs. You know, they had a quarterback – uh, who brought them to the Super Bowl, and they, they look to upgrade. So I think you're constantly, whether you're in my job, whether you're a quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, I can't really speak to your job, though I'd love to make a joke about your job. I can't really think of one right now. But uh, you're, oh, I'm, you're Yeah, that's the thing. It wouldn't stop you. The, f the only thing <laughs> stopping you is you don't have one. That's it. I don't have one, which bothers me. It's really bothering me as I think about this answer. <laughs> but I think that you, you're constantly having to prove yourself, and I think that's what we're looking for. We're looking for players that are constantly trying to improve. You know, I, I feel like um, it took us a long time in Philadelphia to win a world championship, and, and I always felt – I remember telling Joe Douglas, when we win a world championship, you're not going to find me for three weeks. You know, I'm going to be on some version of a bender, whether it's, it's warm weather bender or something. And we come back from the Super Bowl on Monday night, and on Tuesday I'm calling him. I'm like, hey, we got to get going. We're six weeks ahead. And he goes, what happened to lay back Howie? What happened to, like, you know, bender Howie? And I'm like, yeah, I just want to win another one, you know? And I think that's really what, like, we're looking for. Not that I'm definitely not the role model for what we're looking for. But I think that that's what you're looking for in players and coaches, like guys who are constantly trying to prove themselves and take it to the next level. It's funny that you put it that way, though, because one thing I've sensed from your fan base, winning one Super Bowl has made them even more over-the-top irrational about getting another one. Like, they want this second one way worse than they wanted the first one. Well, it's funny because, as you know, I have four kids, and I have three boys and a girl, and um, I remember after we won the Super Bowl, you know, I was pretty proud of the accomplishments of our staff, of our players, uh, of our coaches, of our front office, you know, of ownership. And I remember kind of having a smile on my face and my daughter saying, Dad, how long have you been the GM? And I was like, you know, 10 years. And she goes, I mean, I, we're learning percentages in math. That's like 10%. That's not really a great percentage. I'm not sure we should be like patting people on the back for that. And I'm like, I think we've lived in Philly long enough. We are one of them. Oh, that's great. Oh, that is awesome. All right, Howie, on that note, uh, we'll say thank you, and we hope to talk to you again real soon. Uh, and uh, congratulations it. on having a great year, and uh, uh, all the best for 2022. We'll see you soon, Mike, in person next time. 
Joining us now straight from Indianapolis, site of the scouting combine, brand new head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, who will eventually be getting a giant Super Bowl ring for his work as offensive coordinator of the L.A. Rams. He's Kevin O'Connell. Kevin, welcome to the program. Great to see you. Appreciate, yeah, appreciate you having me on. Well, congratulations on winning the Super Bowl, and congratulations on getting a chance to lead your own team to a Super Bowl. When did you decide that you believed you were ready to become a head coach in the NFL? Well, I think it's it's an ongoing process, but when you get exposed to some great players and coaches, you know, throughout the process of growing as a coach, you start to really take a lot from those uh, experiences, and um, pretty soon you start to feel like I feel really comfortable and confident uh, that uh, I can take a lot of these things and, and build the type of culture and build the type of team uh, that you've always kind of hoped to do uh, with the experiences that you've had. And then you start thinking about the people you'll get to do it with. And it's very, very important that there's, you know, that connection and that collaboration uh, amongst the whole organization. And getting to be around Kwesi every day as our general manager has only solidified how I felt about him beforehand. Um, and, and the type of shared vision that we're going to have to kind of build off of has been exciting early on. It's been a, a fast-moving process for me since obviously winning the Super Bowl, showing up a couple days later in Minnesota. But it's been a good one excited about it excited to be here in indianapolis and uh next step in the process and, and you actually were involved in a game in minnesota late in the regular season late december rams yep. won over the vikings in that stadium they have it's just a few years old it's an awesome place uh did you have any inkling when you were there uh, you know the way things go you never know you never know maybe i'll be back as soon as next year and maybe i won't be working for the rams <laughs> Yeah, I did not. Um, I just always uh, remember, you know, a couple times I've been there on the visitor sideline at U.S. Bank Stadium. Uh, you remember that atmosphere. You remember the passion of the fans. You, you know, you remember what that game day experience is like, um, second to none in our league. And uh, so you, you get the opportunity to interview for the Minnesota Vikings job with great ownership and a great organizational structure. But the one thing you know is every home game you, you get to host in this league, uh, you hope to have an advantage. You don't always have that around the league, but when you do, uh, and we're going to have it each and every Sunday uh, at U.S. Bank Stadium, it's one of those things where that's a huge part of it for a coaching staff and a team uh, to know that that home field advantage is really going to be there every week. This is a franchise that for too many years to remember has been caught in a range of average to above average every once in a while they'll make some noise in the postseason but what do you think the biggest challenge is to convert the franchise into a team that is a consistent high level contender not just a consistent you know maybe we'll get to the wild card round maybe we'll get to the divisional round type of a contender where they are now I think first and foremost, you gotta you gotta build the culture of what you want uh, your organization to be, and and that's uh, you know a, a group that is an incredibly connected team, uh, you know with their coaches and, and with their fellow players, the support staff around the building, uh, the idea of building a place where the players want to be there, they want to be there, getting better every single day, and trusting the process of how we're building our systems and how we're coaching those systems, connecting with the players from the staff. Uh, all the way down to every man on the roster, that's the starting point. And then it's about evaluating the roster. It's about applying uh, the principles of how you want to play offense, defense, and special teams uh, to fit your roster, to fit your team each and every year, uh, and then go try to find a way to compete every single Sunday. It's hard to win in this league, uh, but when you can go out uh, and, and, and trust that process of how you prepare, how you've built your team, and rely on that when it matters the most, uh, you got a chance. And, and then it's just about gaining momentum and getting better as the seasons go on and playing your best when it matters in the end because uh, that's really what separates teams in our league is the teams that play their best football in December, January, and get an opportunity to play in February. It's, it's something, having just experienced it, you know, I know what it feels like now. I know what it's like to watch a team ascend, uh, you know, get through some adversity throughout the season and be at their best when, when you need to be. And um, it's, it's a hard thing to do, but if you got the process right, you got the right people around you, and your building feels that, that right culture on a daily basis, uh, feel really strongly about your chances of building a winner. Kirk Cousins is under contract for 2022. He's been a lightning rod for Vikings fans because he's delivered one playoff appearance in four seasons with the teams. You have experience with him in Washington. What's the best way to describe him? To the Vikings fans out there that are curious how this new coach who's worked with Kirk Cousins is going to interact with him and use him, what is your description 
of what Kirk can do to help achieve the vision and the culture that you're trying to develop? Yeah, I think first and foremost, I, I really do believe uh, having attempted to play quarterback in this league myself uh, and, and, and not ultimately achieving that goal because of uh, the fact that I wasn't accurate enough as a quarterback. I think the number one thing for me now that when I look at veteran quarterbacks, rookie quarterbacks, I evaluate them throughout any process is they need to be naturally accurate. And Kirk is that. Kirk is, Kirk is one of the naturally accurate passers in this league. He does not need to think uh, about throwing the football, being accurate, where he wants to place the ball. He naturally does it in the rhythm and timing of any offense he's ever been in. And that's really been one of his traits uh, that's allowed him to have a lot of success. Um, I think he's tough. I think he's durable. Um, I think uh, he leads in his own way that uh, he's really become comfortable with throughout his career as he's gained more experience and, and stepped into a lot of different huddles with a lot of, a lot of teammates uh, in multiple spots. But uh, watching him here uh, with this group and when you really start to turn on the tape and watch the level of quarterback at which he's played. Um, it's about continuing to refine and, and have him continue to grow within the system we're going to build for him and the rest of our offensive players, both up front, the skilled players. Uh, there's a really good group to work with here. Uh, the, you know, the, the sky's the limit as far as how you want to play offense with the type of uh, talent we have on that side of the ball. Um, and Kirk's going to be a huge part of it. He's our quarterback, and I, I feel really good about his fit uh, in building something and being a part of building something that we want to be as an offense here in Minnesota. Last one for you. There's one guy on your offense that is very excited about the fact that you're the head coach of the team. We visited with him Super Bowl week, and that's receiver Justin Jefferson. And I think he has visions of becoming Cooper Cup in your offense. Is, is his vision yeah. of that role accurate? Absolutely. I mean, the one thing about uh, Cooper Cup this past season was – he, he lined up in a lot of different spots. It was hard for defenses to really know uh, where he was. He did a lot of different things. He had an impact in a lot of phases of our offense uh, beyond just catching a lot of balls and, and scoring a lot of touchdowns. There was a, a huge role for Cooper because of uh, his willingness to be uh, completely uh, you uh, put completely solidified in every phase, both the run and the pass. Um, I see that with Justin. I see an incredible, incredible skill set, but I also see a player we can move around. We can make it hard for defenses to know where he's going to be. He doesn't have to line up in the same spot all the time. He doesn't have to run the same type of routes all the time. He's dynamic with the ball in his hands. Um, he's willing in the run game. Uh, this guy's a special, special player. I loved him a couple years ago when he was coming out of the draft. We obviously weren't in a position uh, to possibly get a chance to coach him, but uh, you still go through the process and you see the traits, you see the skill set, uh, and he's really just grown uh, from day one. Um, I think he's got an incredibly bright future. He's already a superstar in this league in my mind, and no better way to build your offense, uh, you know, obviously through the lens of the quarterback first and foremost always, uh, but when you have a weapon like that in addition to, uh, you know, Adam, Irv, uh, Dalvin, our great guys up front on the offensive line, who it's been fun to study. Uh, Justin Jefferson's going to have a, a huge role within our offense and continue to, to ascend in this league. Cannot wait to start coaching him when we get a chance here coming up this spring. It's been fun to watch your career develop just 14 years after entering the NFL as a third-round pick of the Patriots. Here he is, Kevin O'Connell, head football coach of the Minnesota Vikings. We wish you all the best going forward, and I look forward to talking to you down the road, Kevin. Joining us now, a man who is beginning his second season as the general manager of the Denver Broncos. He is George Payton. George, welcome to the program. How's it going? Thanks for, thanks for having me, Mike. I have a lot of years, and I've never first time on the show. Pretty excited. Well, and I appreciate it very much. And this last year for you had to have flown by. I, I, I'm amazed how we're already into year two of the Peyton regime. I still think of you as a new GM. How fast did it go by for you? It flew by, you know, obviously when you get a job and, and uh, you're just trying to learn the staff and, and learn the building and, and uh, you know, get through free agency, get through the draft, and things just come at you uh, from every direction. But, uh, you know, it, I, it was a, a fun year, challenging year, but, uh, you know, I'm excited for where we are and where we're going. Give me the biggest thing you learned in the first year that you wish you'd known last year. Well, just the, the, you know, and I learned, I knew this from Rick Spielman. You know, he told me that uh, you'll be doing a lot more non-football stuff. And so that's the things you have to manage, you know, when you have this job is because every day there's something. And uh, you just have to be disciplined and shut your door every now and then and watch tape and, 
and do what you know why they hired you. We didn't get a chance to talk about it last year after you took the job, but I'm curious because you had so many opportunities over the years to become a GM here or there or wherever, and it never was the right time for you. What made Denver last year the right time and the right place for you to become a GM? Yeah, just after meeting with John and, and Joe Ellis, it was just seemed like the right fit. You know, obviously it's always been one of the top uh, organizations in the NFL. Myself growing up in Los Angeles, you know, I knew a lot about the organization and, and all the winning and the tradition. And then, uh, you know, just sitting down with them, the fan base. And then, uh, you know, I thought they had some foundation in place uh, on offense and defense uh, where we could, you know, hopefully turn this thing, uh, you know, quickly. I want to get to the quarterback position. Obviously, in the division that your team occupies, it's critical to have a great quarterback. And we're obviously not going to get into the names of any veteran players because uh, that's not prohibited at this current juncture of the calendar. But on a scale of 1 to 10, George, how big of a priority is the quarterback position for you this offseason? Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be a 10 for every team that doesn't have that guy, that franchise guy. You know, we like Drew Luck. Uh, we like what Teddy did last year, but we're always looking, you know, and, and uh, so I think it's a 10. You know, you, it's, you know we, everyone needs that type of quarterback to get to where they need to go, and, and we're no different. Give me the top two or three characteristics you look for in a quarterback who hopefully becomes a franchise guy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you could talk about this for a while. I think, uh, you know, number one is you toughness. You know, you, it's, it's a tough position. You're taking a lot of hits. I think it's the toughest position in sports. Obviously, you want the mental capability. I mean, they have to process so much uh, at quarterback. And then, uh, you know, third would be accuracy, you know, just to deliver the ball on time to the right uh, target and, and deliver it accurately. So those would be three. I mean, we could discuss it for a while. but. And, and as it relates to the purpose that you're in Indianapolis, looking at the quarterbacks and other players who are entering the draft how difficult is it to take what a guy's done at the college level at the quarterback position and project it to success or not in the nfl yeah I, I, it's really hard i mean I, you see you know i don't know what the uh, the stats are but it's probably 50 50 the guys hit you know when you take them in the first round and so you got to dig into so many different things and, and you're trying to do this you know over the course of the fall and the off season and really get to know these guys and you know, one, are they, you know, do they love ball? Uh, two, are they smart enough to run what you're doing? And then, you know, I mentioned the toughness. And then, uh, you know, just are they talented enough? So there's a lot that goes into it. I think a lot depends on where they go as well. Are they positioned to, you know, put enough around them where they can have some early success? So it's, it's probably the hardest thing we can do, you know, when you're sitting in my seat. What's your pitch to a veteran if a veteran becomes available to you, regardless of who it may be? Your pitch to that guy to come to Denver and, and be part of a team that that quarterback can make as successful as it possibly can be? Yeah, I mean, I think we have a lot of weapons, uh, you know, on offense. I think we have three or four receivers that uh, are, are really talented and that they're only going to get better. We have two really talented tight ends. We have, you know, Javante Williams is a runner. So I think the weapons are there. The offensive line, you know, we need to add, you know, one. Uh, we need to get a tackle. But then our defense, I think, you know, they were second or third in points allowed during the season and uh, or during last season. So I think we have a lot going for us, and, you know, in regards to the weapons we have on offense and then our defense, you know, coming back and, and, and sustaining what they did last year. You're in an unusual spot where the Broncos don't currently have an owner who is day-to-day -day running the team. How has that affected your job so far, and how do you anticipate the arrival of an owner changing your job in the future? You know, it hasn't impacted my job at all. You know, Joe Ellis has done a great job of, of uh, showing leadership since I've been here. And, and uh, you know, we just have to take care of what we do. And we really can't worry about things, you know, we can't control. I think everyone's kind of excited to get, you know, a new owner and, and, uh, and see who that is. But, you know, it doesn't affect, you know, how we go about our day-to-day -day or how we're going to draft, how we're going to sign free agents or, or what have you. What are you most proud of based on your first year with the team? You know, I don't know if proud. I, I'm just, uh, you know, I just excited how the, the guys played hard, you know, and, and, you know, we were down, you know, week week seven, in our 17th game against Kansas City. I'm just proud of the way the guys fought, 
went through a lot like all teams with COVID. Um, you know, obviously Vic and his coaches are fighting, but it was just I really appreciated the way the guys fought towards the end, even though when we're out of it. And uh, that's the type of players we're, we're going to continue to try to bring in here. And give me one thing, if there is one thing, maybe there's more than one thing, that you'd look back at last year and say, boy, I wish I could do that over again. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's a, a draft pick or two that, you know, I wish we could, uh, you know, reconsider or maybe a free agent signing. I really don't want to mention them because uh, I have to deal with these players. But, uh, you know, really, I don't regret anything we've done. I think we've kind of stayed the course. We had a plan in place. You know, I, I think we have a lot of foundations in place to take that next step. And I liked most of the decisions we've made. Now, no one hits 100%, but, uh, you know, I thought we did a really nice job with the first year. Um, I think the buildings come, you know, come together. You know, my staff, the scouting staff, I didn't know any of them when I got there. And so just the, uh, the cohesion we have, the synergy we have as a staff and within our building, you know, that's another thing that I'm really proud of. I mentioned earlier you're in a division with three great quarterbacks, obviously Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and Derek Carr. How much of your roster construction is driven by knowing that you're dealing with those teams twice a year every year? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always there. You know, we, we need to play better in our division. We obviously have three really good coaches in our division, and we need, you know, we need to pressure those quarterbacks and we need to cover. And so you're always thinking about that, our division, where we stand. Uh, you know, we're, we're four, you know, we haven't won many division games, and we haven't won many home games. So we need to really improve on that. But, no, you're always looking, uh, you know, at the teams at the top and how are you going to get there. Where do you stand on the possibility of the overtime rule changing, specifically in the postseason? You know, Mike, I haven't really thought about that too much. Uh, but uh, I'm, I kind of like the way it is now, you know. But, again, I haven't really looked into it. I haven't read much on it. been busy hiring coaches and uh, trying to catch up on this draft and free agency stuff. What's your, what's your main objective between now and the start of week one beyond the quarterback position? Yeah, we just need to really uh, improve on the positions of need and, uh, and really improve our depth. And, and we're fortunate we have 11 draft picks. You know, we have a lot of cap room. We have five of our draft picks in the top three rounds. So I think we can really make some hay at the top and then, you know, just keep improving our depth. I think we made a lot of strides in that last year, but, you know, you can never have enough depth. And so that's what we're really focused on. Obviously, our offense needs to take the next step. We haven't been very good on offense, you know, in five or six years, and that needs to improve. Uh, defensively, we need to sustain. We don't want to take a step back, but we really need to fix the offense. Well, George, it's great to finally talk to you. It's an organization with a proud history and I think a bright future, especially given that it's in your hands, and we hope to talk to you again down the road real soon. It's been great, Mike. Really good uh, talking to you. Look, look forward to talking to you soon.